0: We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom He predestined he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Well, here we are on Super Bowl Sunday. And in fact, I saw something on Facebook where a pastor had posted that, if Taylor Swift can get back uh, from uh, Japan in time for the Super Bowl, we should be able to make it in church and get home in time for the Super Bowl. I, yeah, yeah, I think that's about about right. And, you know, during the Super Bowl today, I'm, I'm absolutely certain at some point or another, someone somewhere in the stands will hold up a sign, John 3.16. Now, I don't know about you, but but I want to know, has has a sign at a football game ever really brought anyone to Christ? Has anyone watching a man smash their uh, heads together at uh, incredible uh, speeds ever, ever you know, said, oh, hey, I'm going to stop watching the game and go get my Bible? I just have a feeling that, that holding up a sign at a football game, which is inten- intentionally, you know, this kind of like rugged, uh, smashing heads thing, has never brought anybody to Christ. And yet, we need a way for people to come to know Jesus Christ in their lives, to know what a difference Jesus Christ can make in their lives. And if if you look around the world today, it seems like we Christians are are somehow kind of missing the mark on helping people come to know who Jesus is. Uh, If you look at the statistics, let's talk about uh, younger people, young adults and teenagers, that kind of age group. They are the most anxious and depressed a uh, group of young people since uh, people began to take these polls and record the statistics. Uh, there is something going on with younger people that they feel more hopeless uh, than we did as kids. And you know you can say, well, maybe it's the economy is bad right now. I'm like, look, when I graduated from college, Uh, interest rates were 18 or 20%. We weren't walking around all depressed. We were excited for what came next. So something is shifting where younger people feel more anxious and lost and disconnected. There is uh, uh, evidence that people are expressing that they are lonelier than they have been in a very long time, that they feel less connected to other people. There is evidence out there, and in fact, just this week, I read about the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, right? Those people who claim no religious affiliation, who may believe in God or not believe in God, but they claim no affiliation to any form of faith, that in uh, 2007 or 8, those numbers were about 18% of the population, somewhere around that. And uh, now, uh, in uh, the most recent poll, it's up to almost 30%. And they find that the vast majority of those who claim no religious affiliation are younger people. Those numbers are growing. And over time, if that continues, pretty soon you're going to have half of the country who has no religious affiliation, and then 60, 70, 80. Who knows where it ends? But here's the thing. There's probably some relationship between all those statistics about how people are feeling today, and then this idea that people no longer are associated in any kind of faith community. Something we're doing isn't reaching people the way it used to do. And I think when we're talking about how do we reach people with this message and this power and this hope of Jesus Christ, there are ways that, ha- that no longer work. And that's what the church is struggling with. If you turn now to Romans and you look at Paul's chapter 8, Paul is going to say two things. He's going to say, first of all, that there is life to be lived in the Spirit. And living life in the Spirit will, Paul says, create inner transformation. Life in the Spirit, inner transformation, which will then conform our lives closer to Christ. The problem may be that for However, many generations, and I suspect since uh, Christians first gathered, there are those who go to church, there are those who claim uh, to know Christ or profess Christ or believe in Christ, but don't experience an inner transformation. And this is what Paul is talking about the inner transformation of the believer in Christ. This is what John Wesley was concerned with from the beginning of his Methodist movement, that believers would have an inner transformation which changes the way they live and work and act in the world. If you leave church and you're just like everybody else in the world, where is your witness? And of course, we know for generations uh, that, that Christians have often uh, not lived the life of faith. Uh, someone like Gandhi who once said, I like your Jesus, but I don't like your Christians. There is not an inner transformation in the life of the believer. There can't be the external fruit of the Spirit that that demonstrate to others the way we are connected to Christ, the power of Christ, the difference that he actually makes in our lives. One of my uh, favorite theologians of the 20th century is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he is uh, the theologian in Germany who opposed, pastor and theologian, who opposed the Nazis and Hitler. And at that time, they were requiring Pastors, seminarians, to sign a statement that they uh, agreed with the Nazis and would follow the Nazi platform. And Bonhoeffer refused to do this. He created an underground seminary that would train people up and not uh, live in the way that the Nazis wanted to. You know, this idea that you could go to church on Sunday and then go and arrest and transport Jews on Monday. It didn't work for Bonhoeffer. There was something wrong with that Christian witness uh, for sure. And so ultimately, Bonhoeffer uh, decides that he is going to participate in the assassination plot on Hitler. And uh, of course, the plot fails uh, to take out Adolf Hitler. And Bonhoeffer ends up being arrested, uh, imprisoned, and right before the end of the world. Right before the end of the war, uh, he, is, he is hung. He, he does not survive. But one of the most interesting things is that Bonhoeffer does a lot of reflecting upon this idea that he would participate in taking the life of Hitler. Hitler. And he comes to the conclusion that he is willing to risk his own salvation on behalf of others in the world. And he's willing to risk his own salvation by doing this. But secondly, he says this. It is worse to be evil than to do evil. It is worse to be evil than to do evil. And what he is saying is those who have Uh, not had an inner transformation will do all manner of things in the world that are not in accordance with Christ, those who truly follow Christ will be transformed in a way that they will be able to discern their actions as right or wrong or good or bad, that they will bear a different kind of witness in the world. And given how many Germans just went right along with Hitler, would suggest once again that many, many people are not having the kind of inner transformation that makes us see and operate and live in the world in a way that is conformed to Jesus himself. Again, this is always what John Wesley was stirring up for his people. And so the question for us becomes, how do we begin to have or to know if we are, are opening ourselves to this kind of inner transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here is the thing that Paul will say. Here is the thing that John Wesley says. It won't happen without us. Do you hear me? It won't happen without us participating. Uh, uh, it, it, it's like someone in an addiction, what does twelve steps program teach teaches that first of all you have to accept there is a higher power and that you're not in control, but then you have to participate in the process of your own healing. That is exactly what we are saying here that we have to be participating with the work of the Holy Spirit. And that when we do that, God will begin to work transformation within us across our lifetime. So, one of the things that seems very obvious, I meant to keep this in my pocket, is that in our society today, we now have a very powerful other God. This may be one of the primary false gods of our society today. Uh, Think about uh, how uh, you follow this person or that person on the phone. Think about the way it beeps or it rings, and it doesn't matter what you're doing, it's going to take your attention away and have you follow it. I say think about. Go to your screen time. look at how much screen I'm preaching to the choir. Look at how much screen time per week you spend on your phone versus how much God time per week you spend. This has become another God in our society uh, that you know it, it, it's just like creating any other idol. It draws our attention. It becomes uh, the thing that in many ways dictates our lives. You know how it is, right? You're in conversation with someone and then ding, and they're right here because their God has called. You see, we live in one of the noisiest, busiest societies ever created. We now live in a time when you're listening to music or or texting or on the phone. I mean, think about this. I was thinking about this driving to the church. If you leave your phone at home before you go to church, how do you feel? Some of you don't care. But a lot of people are like, oh no, I gotta have my phone. What happens if, what, what happens if there's an emergency and I don't have my phone? It's really dangerous not to have my phone. And then there you are on the highway in the rain on your phone. Which is more dangerous, right? This is your God. You can't, you know, I can't go anywhere without it. I'm being a little facetious, people. Please understand. But if you think about it, younger people have grown up and have always had this kind of technology, and it will often substitute real relationship for relationships by technology. There's a difference. There's a difference when someone hugs you versus when someone sends you a hug emoji. I'm just saying. I feel different when someone hugs me than they go, "Here's a hug, or "or a gif, jif," however it's pronounced, with a hug. It's not the same. And what our society is really, really bad at today is any quiet time. You see, ancient peoples, early Christians had a lot of silent time. They had a lot of quiet moments. You and I, unless we are really intentional about opening up space, that's what we call devotional time, opening up space to listen to God, to to read our Bible, drink our coffee when it's quiet. And I know some households, it's a little more difficult to find quiet spaces than others. But the whole idea of having these quiet Spaces to listen to God to say, "Here I am, God." Think about the Bible, Psalm forty-six: "Be still and know that I am God." Think about the Bible when you get um, uh, Elijah running from uh, his fear of being killed by Jezebel, and he runs to the cave and the mountains. And God is not in the lightning. God is not in the thunder. God is not in the earthquake. God is in. The still small voice, in the silence, over and over again, think about Samuel, when he is being called in the night, and he keeps running to Eli and saying, you called me, and finally Eli says, boy, just go back and say, here I am, and be quiet, and let God speak. If we want to experience inner transformation, we really have to find quiet times to let God speak. You know, I, in the past four or five years, I start every one of my seminary classes. Oh, I should do this in church. It would drive you crazy. I make my, because I have, you know, power over my students. I don't have over you. (laughs) I Make them be quiet and breathe for five or ten minutes when they come to class. Because most of them are under 40 and most of them never have any quiet time in their day or in their week. And these are people preparing to be pastors and they are so connected all the time they don't know how to be still. And they tell me, I feel a calm and a peace that I didn't feel before I stopped and was quiet. They'll tell me, I I hear God telling me something that I need to really be looking at about myself, and I actually watch them change over time. It's It's been astounding to me what a difference it has made to have my students just stop and be quiet and open themselves and say, here I am, God. There is something transformational about making time for some silence, to be present to God. And I encourage us as we are just days away from the season of Lent to ask ourselves, am I making time to be quiet for God? Because when we begin to let God truly transform us, then we walk into the world as different people. We walk into the world with peace. We walk with hope. We walk with joy. We walk into the world with compassion. We do not look like everyone else. When that light shines, other people will begin to say, I want what you have. And we say, What I have is this relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about it. People of God, we are not going to bring people to Christ holding up a sign on the Super Bowl, putting one outside your house. John 3, 16, stop here if you want to know. No, we will will bring people to Christ by allowing God's Spirit to transform us in ways that the world can see Jesus in us.